Hello, and welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the great Joe Masato on this crisp Tuesday morning. Joe, how are you doing? It is crisp outside, a, a little cloudy. Um, Thunder Warriors tonight, which is always fun. So, um, yeah, Michael, doing good. Good. Well, um, speaking of coming back, we have uh, Shagildas Alexander made his return on Sunday night against the Utah Jazz, where he balled out with 38 points, seven rebounds, four assists, three steals, one block on 10 of 17 shooting, including 17 of 19 from the line. What did you see from Shea in his first game back? Listen, Michael, I have a confession to make, and I wanted to wait to surprise you um, as we're recording. I did not watch the game on what night was that? Sunday night. Um, I took the night off. Um, load management for, for me. And when I take the night off, I try to take the night off. I did, however, read our post-game coverage, listen to the post-game pressers, um, saw some highlights and everything like that. So um, I just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I thought the most interesting thing from the other night in Shay's return is he played 37 minutes. And, and before the game, Mark Dagnalt sort of outlined how they're going to nurse that abdominal strain. And, you know, Dagnall did say it's going to be more about condensing the stretches that Shea plays and not necessarily like a cumulative, um, you know, reduction in total minutes. And I thought the other night proved that. Like, I was honestly surprised um, after I did not watch the game and looking back at the box score and hearing that comment that Shea still played 37 minutes um, and by the looks of it was not hampered at all. 17 of 19 back to his old ways, 38 points, just a dominating performance. But since you were in the arena and talked to Shay, what was your perspective? I really enjoy your commitment to it where, you know, I keep work at work. Not today. Yeah. Listen, there's a lot of basketball games that, that pile up and, um, you know, it, it's a great job. But when when I don't when, when I can take the night off from from basketball, I, I'm going to do it. Uh, before we get into the game thing, I wanted to ask you about this because you said you watched the post game. I want to see if you caught this, but it was a question for Usman Jang that I got to ask. Where um, someone, for those who don't know, we'll get into some inside baseball. The Thunder media room, you kind of raise your hand to get the microphone. Somebody raised their hand next to me, and I was like, "Okay, we'll hand you the mic." So I get the mic from the uh, one of the interns from the Thunder. I hand it to him, and he goes, "I didn't have a question. I didn't raise my hand." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So as I'm holding the microphone, I look up, and Usman Jang is asked is looking at me like eye to eye, and I'm like, "Well, looks like I'm asking a question here." And <laughs> decided I actually just... missed that. I oh, missed you did that. good, good. It didn't catch it, maybe, but it, it was. Like this awkward thing of like, yeah, I didn't ask a question, so I'm just holding the mic and I can't just hand it back. So it's like, well, here we go. So I asked him something. Luckily, it went well. But um, yeah, I told uh, one of the Thunder interns, like, I want that on my um, my reel of like my best yeah. moments. I was on the spot. I was ready. Sometimes you just got to be thrown into the deep end and read and react. That's what it's about. Sink or swim. But you mentioned Shaves minutes. That was also very, very impressive. And one of my bigger takeaways. Yeah. Um, for those who pay very close attention to the Thunder rotations, Shay will play the entire first quarter, second half of the second quarter, the entire third quarter and the second half of the fourth quarter. 
and it feel and it didn't feel like it. It's reality. Mark was just trying to divvy that up a little bit more, like you mentioned, into less long stretches and more, I know, mm-hmm. periodic stretches. But he was awesome. He fried every jazz defender they put on uh, on him from Chris Dunn, Jordan Clarkson, everybody else. They just kind of looked helpless against him. I thought his defense was very underrated as an impact whenever he came back because he was extremely active. Like I mentioned, he uh, had the one block and three steals, but just his overall length and just having one more defender out there, I think was very much uh, missed for the Thunder over the last few games. Yeah, and it was J-Dub talked about that the other night, the the game before the last game. As far as like, yeah, you know, you would think it's offense that they miss Shea the most, but it's really on that defensive end and and like the leadership, the length, uh, the activity, like he leads the league in deflections. He's first among all guards and blocks and he's really having, I mean, we've talked about it a lot here locally, um, but on a national scale, I'm not sure people realize what kind of defensive season and true two-way season that Shea has had. Um, but it certainly boosts his like all NBA case and and his overall reputation, and it helps the Thunder win games because he he really has been a true two way force. Absolutely, I mean he came in firing. He had that first shot. It was like a fadeaway jumper um, with two seconds left on the shot clock, and it's like oh, it's one of those nights. It's just everything's gonna fall for him. But he looked like every bit of himself coming out of um, health and safety protocols and after that abdominal injury, which he was still nursing. But I was just surprised by how fresh he looked. He mentioned post game. He said, you know, there were times I felt gassed, but just watching him in the arena, it didn't look at all like that. It looked like just if you didn't tell me anything was wrong with him or he was returning from anything, I wouldn't have known anything. These next four games are going to be really interesting with Shea because Mark Degnault didn't like commit to anything um, as far as back to backs go. But he said that's something that they're going to look at. Um, the Thunder's next four games are a pair of back-to-backs Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, tonight at home against Golden State, tomorrow on the road at Phoenix, and then Saturday, Sunday um, at the Pels and at the Spurs. So I'm really interested to to see how they manage his minutes in those games on those back-to-backs. If he does rest, how do they pick which end of the back-to-back he's going to rest on? I mean, he's not on the injury report um, for tonight, so I assume he's playing. Um, but don't know what to make of his status for tomorrow at Phoenix. But um, the good news is he's back and playing like his old self. Yeah, it should be interesting. I think that was one of the bigger things that I took away from the pregame presser when we talked to Mark is he said earlier in the season, this is something where with an abdominal strain, the best um, treatment for it is just rest. He said, but at the point that we are in the season and Shea wants to keep going, that you know, we can't just sit him out for multiple games as we're kind of chasing one of these play-in spots throughout the rest of the season. So I thought that was a good sign for the um, Thunder fans who are hoping that that would be something on the table. Yeah, and um, let's get to let's get to J Dub because speaking of injury news, we don't know much about it yet, but he is listed as questionable for tonight, and this is going to be old news soon, so I won't spend too much time on it, but. Listed as questionable with a right wrist sprain. Um, so that that will certainly affect things going forward if he is to miss any bit of time. Um, but Michael, we, we are here to talk about his some crazy things. Perhaps best rookie in, in Thunder history. Uh, uh, an argument 
our good friend Andrew Schlecht laid out on on Dream Team the other day and fully committed to it. Um, you know, is he pushing for rookie of the year? There, there's a lot of Jalen Williams stuff we got to get into. Yeah, I wanted to revisit that because earlier this season, uh, Barry came on and he likes to make these lists of things. And um, he mentioned the best rookies in Thunder history. And he was talking about it was more just looking at Josh's season uh, because, you know, we're not even a full year removed from that. But he mentioned guys like Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, James Harden and others. Before we get into that, um, J-Dub was awesome the other night. I wanted to do a little trivia for you here. J-Dub had the fourth highest true shooting percentage by a rookie on 35 uh, on a rookie where he scored 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, only behind these three players who did it on better true shooting percentage. Oh, geez. Um, Two of these players are active. LeBron James. No. Well... Luka Doncic. I, I will just give it to you here. Donovan Mitchell, Man. Anthony Edwards, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Only guys to do okay. it higher true shooting. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's quite a list. I stand by my two guesses, even though they were incorrect. But um, yeah, that's his efficiency. I mean, that's been the story of his rookie season. You pull up um field goal percentage leaders by rookies this year, you'll see that he's fourth. But just take a look at the three players ahead of him and see what position they play. They are Walker Kessler, Jalen Duran, and Mark Williams. They are all seven-foot centers. Um, and J-Dub is basically putting up, you know, efficiency numbers that would make you think he's a seven-footer who's, you know, got his back to the basket and is a... Uh, rumbling down low with the big guys yeah and it's been very very interesting um i i thought this was a fun correlation because j-dub has kind of hit his stride post um january 1st start of the new year russell westbrook and the thunder kind of hit their stride in his rookie season after that same point so um i thought that was a fun time but uh russ's Russ's rookie numbers pre-january 1st he was averaging Around 14 points per game, four and a half assists, 4.1 rebounds per game on 40, 31, 78, 9, uh, 78.9 splits. Um, his net improvements post-January 1st were plus three points per uh, points per game, over one assist per game, and 1.3 rebounds per game. The only real stat uh, difference in his shooting was a deficit of 7% from the three-point shooting line. J-Dub thought this was interesting. 11.4 points per game, 3.7 rebounds per game, and 2.6 assists per game on 51-30-75 shooting. That was uh, pre-January 1st. Since then, Joe, he is averaging 15.4 points per game, 5 rebounds per game, 3.7 assists per game, 2.1 steals. That's up from 0.7 and 0.6 blocks. And the biggest thing, um, I guess, net improvement is he went up by um nine percent from three over that stretch yeah the three point shots really coming around and those are staggering numbers and i had to check my phone twice because i've got alerts set up for the nba communications account and they tweet out um player of the week and nominees and i just assumed it was some sort of rookie rookie of the week rookie of the month whatever it is award because i saw jalen williams name on there and it was just for player of the week in the Western Conference. So he was like in the top five or top six, whatever it was. So um, 
he's he's not just been good by rookie standards. He's been good by NBA standards as a rookie. So just, again, a remarkable season that he's having. I, I have no idea what the ceiling may be. I mean, maybe he is eventually the number two option. If he's the number three option, well, that means that Chet Holmgren is going to be one heck of a ball player. Um, or J- or Josh Giddy takes some incredible leap. I mean, the Thunder's in good shape if that's going to be your third best player uh, on a contending team. Absolutely. I mean, J-Dub's been awesome. Um, I just want to hammer the point home about just could he be the best rookie in Thunder history? He's also um, leading all rookies in dunks, uh, steals, and stocks, steals slash blocks. He's just been awesome this year. Um, the Thunder don't have a rich history of guys who go very high in the rookie of the year voting. I did some research and Russ is the only guy who's even placed and he was number four uh, mm-hmm. placing behind guys like uh, Derek Rose, OJ Mayo and Brooke Lopez. So what do you think is standing out to you? I guess the most about how awesome J-Dub's been this season. Well, I, I mean, I think it is that efficiency. I think it's his versatility um, his ability to come in and, you know, you can very easily pick out the rookies on the floor and just kind of like how they're thinking the game, how they're fitting in. And he does not stand out like a rookie. So I think that's his most impressive quality. And you're right about the Thunder. The reason they don't have a rich history in guys finishing a top rookie of the year voting is because they were good for a decade plus and uh, weren't picking very high. And if you don't pick very high, it's, it's tough to nail uh, those draft picks in the late teens and twenties and everything like that. But Russell Westbrook is the Thunder's only first team, all rookie. That was the very first Thunder season, 2008, 09. Uh, James Harden was second team. We, we mentioned Josh Giddy was second team last year. I think he would have been first team had he played more games. That was really the only strike against him. Um, I'm a voter this year and last year. Um, I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want to like order it right now because I just want to have the, uh, the freedom to, to change my mind, um, at season's end. I don't, I don't know where guys, I've got a rough idea in my head of where, where I would place guys, but no matter where you place J-Dub, he's. He's going to be somewhere one to five. And if he's one to five, he's going to make first team all rookie. And I I think he's a near lock to make first team all rookie. I think the discussion we're about to have is, okay, yeah, he's a lock for first team all rookie, but is he making a late push against Paolo Bencaro for rookie of the year? Could he finish second? Um, I think second is probably a ceiling, um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a little bit too much ground to make up, but you mentioned the other guys who have made second team all rookie, which is Josh Giddy, Steven Adams, and James Harden are the only ones to do that. But it should be interesting with J-Dub. I think he's going to have the best chance of any of those guys, like you mentioned, to rise up the rookie of the year, I don't know, uh, polls and maybe get to second. I think that's the ceiling as well. But it would be a definitely a big achievement for a guy who was drafted at 12 and wasn't even the uh, most and highly anticipated rookie coming into the season for the Thunder, which that being Chet Holmgren, maybe they can, um, maybe he doesn't, J-Dub doesn't get it this year. Maybe Chet wins it for him next year, though. Yeah, I, um, 
just to throw some things out there, I, I think there's six rookies competing for five first team spots. I, I think it's J Dub, Paolo, Ben Matherin, J Nivey, Key, and Murray, and, and Walker Kessler, and other people might have a different list, but that's mine. I think Paolo, the narrative the whole season, I mean, he got off to such a strong start. Narrative has always been he's going to win rookie of the year. I think I would vote for him to be rookie of the year right now. He's the only rookie averaging north of 20 points per game. No one else is is close, and that's hard to do as a rookie and, and shouldering that kind of load. Um, ben Matherin, I, I think, has been the perceived second choice at this point, but he's certainly falling. Hasn't played as well lately, and I think J-Dub has made a real push against him. I think... I think Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, and Walker Kessler also have a case against him. Although, the argument for Matherin, he's second among rookies in points. He's We'll have to see about this J-Dub injury. Maybe he doesn't even miss tonight. I don't know. But he's got a six-game advantage, which is, is pretty inconsequential at this point. But if it grows to 16, then that could be something. Um, Jaden Ivey, I think he's past Matherin. He hasn't been efficient, um, but raw points is something I, I know people hate it, but all NBA, people put a ton of research into this. All rookie, sometimes they just look at the raw counting stats and be like, oh, that's that's impressive. Um, I don't think that's the right thing to do, but I think that's the reality of the situation. Jay Nivey also leads all rookies in assists. Keegan Murray is the most interesting guy to me because... He, he doesn't quite have the counting stats, but he's shooting 41% from three as a starter on a really good team and on an emerging team, a fun team, a team everyone is rooting for. And, and he's a big part of that. So um, kind of where he slots in, in team context, he's going to have the edge over all of these guys. And then Walker Kessler, the blocks, the defense, but um, everyone should take a look at the minutes total because he's well behind all of these guys in total minutes. Like, for example, J-Dub has played 400 more minutes than Walker Kessler, and that means something. So just a, just a very quick look, Michael, at uh, kind of where things stand for first team. All rookie, is there any? are there any rookies you would kind of make an argument for or put in that group? I think that's a good list. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. It's just been very inconsistent with a lot of those rookies around the league because they've been in and out of the rotation or in and out of the lineup. A lot of injuries, guys like Dyson Daniel, Shaden Sharp, and others have had solid stretches. But we're getting to the point in the season when we're talking about all rookie where it's just about the most consistent guys. Like you mentioned, Paolo, mm-hmm. there's so many guys, there's so many people who um, it's hard not to do this but get an early season impression. And that just carries weight for long uh, stretches throughout the season. And he was awesome to start the season. And through those early months, he hasn't been as good recently where he shot. I mean, I think maybe like 6% from three in February, which is hard to do. That's, that's some high attempts to do that. But um, I think for J-Dub, he's been the better rookie for the last month, but it's just that body of work. And I think Paolo is going to edge him out, but I think, J-Dub has a good case for number two, but I really liked what you mentioned about Keegan Murray because he's more in that Scotty Barnes path of who won mm-hmm. last year of contributing to a high-level winning team, even if it's not on the highest volume or in the biggest role. But he's 
uh, just clicking into a veteran team like no problem and looks like one of the guys who belong. Yeah, like I, who knows if uh, Thunder announces that Kenrich Williams underwent a successful surgery today. So that was anticipated. Obviously, Kenrich Williams has been out, um, has been already ruled out for the season um, with that wrist injury and um, probably just waiting for swelling to go down or or whatever to, to have that procedure. So um, that was always the expectation. Anyway, sorry for getting distracted by that very um, small bit of news. Yeah, like, I don't know. I think I could, I, I think I would, if you're comparing Keegan Murray to like Jaden Ivey, who's on a terrible team, like, I think that might be a tiebreaker for for Keegan Murray. Like, think of you know if if Jay Nivey was playing for the Kings, I'm not sure he plays. Like, maybe he's like that backup point guard. Maybe he's better right now than than Davion Mitchell. But like, I don't know. I mean, it's just so hard to like plug in. He wouldn't have the usage rate or anywhere close to that that he has with the Pistons, so it's kind of hard to know. Um, but I think that will be used as a tiebreaker. Other guys that I think are more likely second-team guys, but I gave them a, a very quick glance. Jeremy Sohan, he's going to get the backing of, of the NBA nerd community. Um, Tari Eason, he's got some pretty impressive counting stats and has actually shot it better than I think a lot of people realize. So, um you know, if a rocket makes the list, I think it's going to be Tari Eason instead of Jabari Smith, which is uh well interesting. Not not, not yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's uh it's not ideal uh if uh if you live in or around the Houston area. So um but other than that, like Andrew Nimhard was getting some early buzz. I think that's calmed down quite a bit. Uh the guard with the Pacers. Shane Sharp was getting early buzz. That's that's calmed way down. So um, Daniels, I think he might have had it more of a case, but he just hasn't played a lot. Yeah, that, that's been the story for a lot of these rookies is just in and out, in and out. But J-Dub, it's been pretty incredible. He's hit his stride where a lot of guys in the their rookie season hit the rookie wall, quote unquote. But he's just breaking it down. And uh, Mark said it's a big testament to just his competitiveness level which I thought was interesting. I asked J-Dub about that later that night, and he's, I asked him, I was like, well, where does this competitiveness come from, this level of just like wanting to win and all this? Where did this start? And he goes, well, for one, I have my younger brothers on my coattails, like right behind me as a five-star guy, so I have to work really hard so he doesn't uh, overcome me as the uh, better brother of the two basketball players. That'll be fun. Uh just uh, I, I think I've talked about it before, but just the, the very different paths those two guys have taken with Cody Williams, kind of this ballyhooed prospect already projected to be the number two pick in, in the 2020. That'd be 20. I think it's 2024 because the Thunder. Have yeah, 2020. Picks in it. 20, 2024. I'm getting my 2020s. All my 2020s are getting jumbled. Um to together so uh yeah just and, and j-dub like heck no one knew about this guy before late in the process so um goes to goes to a mid-major school like santa clara and um yeah it's just kind of two brothers who are growing on two very different tracks yeah cody williams five star going to colorado 
getting all the attention on the hoop mixtape things, ball is life. And then we'll go to the opposite of the spectrum, which is Alexei Pokashevsky, whose uh, draft tape looked like it was filmed on a camcorder in the corner of a room with the lights off and just these they, uh, very obscure the, places. The uh, the second division in Greece, not your highest level of basketball. Uh, but um, yeah, Poku was assigned... Well, and then recalled, but he was assigned to the blue yesterday. Hours later, recalled by the Thunder. He's out. He's still listed as out for tonight. And just to explain what's going on with everyone's favorite Thunder player, Alexei Pokashevsky. Um, hopefully I'm saying that ironically. But anyway, um, Poku is going to go back and forth. I think you're going to see more assignments like this. Um, as he recovers from his left leg fracture, he, he certainly, you know, improving and progressing but his return to game action is not imminent i think when you see him being recalled or assigned that they're trying to maximize practice days and and you know like the blue practice yesterday the thunder didn't practice yesterday so they can send poku down to the blue so he can practice with the guys then they call him back up um, you're going to see a lot of that i i do i am leaning in the direction that we will see poku at some point this season. Um, and, and this is certainly a good step step in that, but I, I think it would, I don't even want to put a timetable on it, but, but I don't think it'll be in the next few games. Yeah. I wouldn't say the same either. I mean, he missed, um, I think the initial prognosis was that he would miss six to eight weeks. I think it's been over 10 now. So it's been a while, yeah. but he had, well, that was, that, that was the re reevaluation period, which, the actual injury can always go beyond that, but you're right. He was reevaluated six to eight weeks. Um, I don't think he's like progressing slower than they expected. I think it's just like, you know, breaking your leg is a fairly big deal. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a very serious injury. It's a non-displaced tibial plateau fracture for those who were ready for me to get into Bro medical jargon. Broken leg is easier to say, Michael. Do you, do you remember the uh, uh, Jared Butler? Um, I don't want to make light oh, of the situation, but I was quizzing uh, you on your medical knowledge. Yeah, it was like cardio atrophy or something like that. I don't look. I can read it off the page. I can't remember it past like a few committed days. Committed to memory. No, no, not yet. But um, you know, I think Poku is a little bit further away, but. If he does come back, where do you think his minutes come from in the rotation? Well, he was basically a, a full-time starter this season at, at the five. I don't think that's going to happen because that would seem to to be that they're rushing him back. So he played 31 games, started 25 of them. Um, I think he would be in that mix with, you know, if like, Jay will continue starting at center. I, I think he could fill some of the backup five minutes, backup four minutes, put him out there situationally. So um, I I think they'll work him back in. Like if he's ready to play, they're not just going to park him on the bench. They're going to make sure to get him back out there. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to eat a lot of those Kenrich minutes that have been made available since his injury came in. But I just wanted to talk about Poku this season because, as we all know, he's a meme. He's everybody's favorite Thunder player, quote-unquote, ironically, maybe, as you were saying. But he had some really good stretches earlier this season. This season, season he's averaging 8.8 .8 points, 5.1 rebounds, 2 assists per game, 1.3 blocks on 44, 37, 63 shooting splits. 
His best month of the season was November, where he averaged 11 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, one and a half assists, and two blocks per game on 51, 45% from the three, and 67% from the line. So some decent stats from Poku, because I think it's kind of easy to forget throughout the long marathon that the NBA season is about the good stretches that a guy had, you know, one month here, two months there. Yeah, I mean, after not looking like an NBA player in his first two seasons and and being incredibly young, speaking of incredibly young, he still just turned 21 uh, last December. So um, still, still very, very early for Poku. But this, this season, the things that jump out to me, he shot 44% from the field and 38% from three last year, he shot 41% from the field. So that's a 3% increase. And he had never shot, north of 30% from three. So being at 38, um, even on limited attempts, was definitely a a step in the right direction. Still not really getting to the free throw line or or shooting well when he gets there. Still, you know, turnovers have, have, have gone down, but all in all, like even past those stats I just read off, like, if you watched Poku in his rookie year or last year, and then you watched him this season, you're like, wow, this guy's really like figured something out. I don't know what it means long term, but he's definitely he he definitely was on better pace in year three and and looked more comfortable. So it's going to be a very big off season for Poku um, because he's about to enter the last year of his rookie deal. Um, there's some there's some pressure. They're going to be adding guys to the roster, so. Um, I'm interested to to see what he looks like after another full offseason and, and coming back next year. Yeah, that should be interesting. I don't think you can necessarily judge him whenever he comes back from this injury because it's such a big stretch of the season that he's missed and such a serious injury. So there's going to be some rest probably, but um, it should be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, I think the team has missed some things from him. I don't know. Maybe this is a question for you. Whose spacing do you trust more between Poku and Jay Will? I, I mean, this is total recency bias, but I trust Jay will. No, no problem with that. I just was uh, going to talk about some of the Do things you... they missed from the team. I know the reason I'm asking is I don't know that there's a good answer. I think that either one you can go with. I think that Poku has, I guess, the bigger sample size. But yeah, recency bias would say Jay will. Also, I like just yelling boom every time he makes a three like how he does. Yeah, I think I'm saying Jay will because like even though it's a tiny sample size, we have not seen Poku put together this efficient of a shooting stretch in that small of a sample size. So uh, I I would lean Jay Will. Truth be told, I don't think either of them really matter because even as they try to space the floor and pose a threat from three-point range, defenses aren't really committing to that or reacting to that um, or you know getting scrambled to, to rush Jay Will or Poku off the line. My point uh, being was that they've they've missed him for points this season. I think that there are different skills that he has that have been kind of needed. Like I mentioned, Kenrich being out, I think that he fills some of those connector minutes that they kind of need from other guys to keep the ball moving and extra ball handling. And then also just his rim protection uh, has been super underrated. He's not Rudy Gobert, Walker Kessler, where he just shuts off the lane, but he gets a high rate of blocks without fouling. And I thought that's been pretty interesting throughout the season. Yeah, I'll give you the rim protection. I think that's a that's an astute 
point. Um, they have certainly certainly missed that, especially now with like Baisley out and Baisley wasn't getting like, you know, not a rim protector in the traditional sense, neither is Poku, but both of them uh, pose some so- sort of threat around the basket uh, just with their length and timing. And I think Poku has a good feel for it. Um, I think what we've missed most with Poku is the entertainment factor. It's always fun. So it's fun watching Alexei Pokushevsky play basketball. You never know what you're gonna get, but it's gonna be something you're gonna you're gonna talk about with your friends. That was the last thing I had in my note. I said he's a shot in the arm of just chaos and fun at the same time. Yeah. There's there's no one like there's no one like Poku. No, not quite. Um, but the Thunder have added somebody new to the roster and Dario Saric, who in only eight games played, is averaging 9.6 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game on 60, 43, 88 shooting splits and only 15 minutes per game. What are your early thoughts on Dario Saric in his time with the Thunder? But before you get my thoughts, are, are you on Saric Island right now? I feel like you're you're leading the Dario Saric bandwagon. I or, guess... or am I mistaken? I'm I've been in on Dario for a little bit here. I'm not somebody who's like, well, let's just start him. Let's do this full time. But I think there is a pathway for him to be on this team past this season. And that's one of the bigger questions I wanted to ask you is, is there a spot for him? But because I think although this is a very, very limited sample size of eight games and only 15 minutes per game, I've liked what I've seen from him. He's not Muscala as a shooter, but he can shoot pretty pretty well and he provides other things that Muscala just couldn't like some more playmaking some more ball handling mm-hmm. um he has a little bit more size down in the post so if you want to attach my name to the Dario Sarge bandwagon I'll I'll raise my hand proudly it's already done I did it before you even raised your hand he has been very very good in his eight games with the Thunder shooting 61% from the field and uh, 44% from three. If you could guarantee that production, I'd say sign him to a max. Um, but yeah, Sharich has he, he's been great. And some of the things that have stood out to me, you mentioned um, kind of the ball handling and, and creation ability. Like I thought it was just going to be more of a spot-up guy filling the Mascala floor spacing role, but being a lesser version of that because he's not a, as good of a shooter but he's got a lot more juice off the bounce than Mike Mascala has. And, um, you know, there's that one game, he got to the free throw line over and over, and that's just something you would never see um, from Mike Mascala. I, I'm just, I struggle to find, I, I struggle to find a, a solid argument for him making the team next season. I mean, this was a classic case of they they didn't trade, they I think they liked Sharich. Obviously, we, we've talked about the Omarui thing. They they chose Sharich, wanted to keep him around. I think several teams would have been interested on the buyout market if he had become available. But they made that deal with the Suns to get the second round pick. That was that was the that was the carrot. That was the main thing. Um, and then Sharich helps the money match and also helps alleviate Phoenix's luxury tax bill. Um, so Dario Sharich is entering. The, He's in the last season um, of his deal. He signed a three-year, twenty-seven million dollar contract in twenty twenty. So he's getting paid nine point two million this year. Then becomes a free agent. I just, I just struggle to to find a spot for him. Is 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 they continue to add young pieces 
to this team doesn't really fit in from a timeline standpoint at 29. So I don't know. I think he's a good guy to have around um, to kind of, he's easy to play with, right? Like, and you know, he's going to make it easier on the younger guys, but I don't think unless I'm wrong, which I probably am. um, I don't think they view him as a long-term piece. Yeah, I don't know that they view him as a long-term piece yet either, but I think there is somewhat of a case that I'll try to spill out for you here. I Do like it. The, Sell me. I like the idea of Dario coming in, and he kind of fills in those Derek Favors minutes and role over the last couple of years of a guy when the Thunder throw out JRE or Poku, and there's a giant center on the other side who they just don't have the size for. I think Dario can fill in some of those minutes. So it's not just a situation where the Thunder has a guy like maybe Jonas Valanciunas comes in and it's like, well, Chet can't really guard him because he's too big. Jerry's too small. Jay Will's too small. Poku's too small. It's like, well, I guess we just kind of lose to this. I think Dario can come in and do some other things. I like what you mentioned about him getting the line a little bit more. Um, I'll push back a little bit on the timeline stuff because although he is, you know, pushing towards 30 I don't think it's a big deal for your timeline that it's a guy who's your backup utility five as much as one of your core pieces. I think the timeline's more important for those guys like that we mentioned of Shay, Giddy, J Dub, Chet, that they're all sort of on the same timeline. But I think some of those ancillary pieces it won't mean as much in the long run of things if you have a center who's your backup five who plays twenty minutes a night, who's a little bit older and has a little bit more experience. Yeah, I haven't really thought of him as a guy. I see him more of a of a stretch five than someone who's going to bang down low with, with some of those bigger guys. I mean, he's listed at 6'10", 225. Like, I would trust Jay Will a lot more than, than I would Sharich just because I think Jay Will is quite a bit stronger and burlier and uh, seems to play with, with more of an attitude. So I think they're fine in that regard. You bring up a good point as far as like the, the role players. I mean, Kenrich Williams is kind of a go-to example. Mike Mascala uh, kind of filling filling those, those, those spots in the last few years as far as, yeah, you know, don't really make sense for if you're strictly looking at, at timeline. Um, I, I do think that's, one of the reasons why it was a little easier to move on from Muscala, though. Um, but, you know, when, when you're a locker room guy filling a role, it doesn't really matter um, if you're, if you're going to be, you know, 21 years old or not. The only thing I would say to that is, I mean, if he wants to sign like a minimum deal, which I, I don't know what is, what his value on the open market is going to be. Um, I, I just think like they're still going to prioritize J. Will, Chet, Poku, Jerry. Like I, I think next year they're still going to want to prioritize their younger guys. And I'm not sure unless he just really likes it here. Um, if that's a role like Sharich would want to sign up for. Yeah, that's a fair point. Not everybody is Mike Muscala where um, they get emotional talking about Oklahoma City and how much they want to play here, which credit to Mike, love Mike. But uh, yeah, with Dario, it should be interesting. Like you mentioned, they just have a lot more invested in some of those other guys with JRE, uh, J. Will and others. So you're going to need to feed those guys minutes. So a guy like Dario will eat into those. So should be interesting. But um, I just wanted to throw it out there as a as a possibility. I don't 
think that I'm high on it as something that's like, this will definitely happen. But I, I like what you mentioned about, I don't know what his marketplace is going to be over the summer for different places, but there's obviously a crowd of people who did want him because there were people asking about the Thunder, maybe buying him out instead of Eugene because they wanted to pick him up for a playoff run. So mm-hmm. there is some level of interest, but only time will tell with Dario. I'm looking up Shibanek, Croatia, home to Dario Sharj. Sorry for derailing us, but I'm uh, I'm fascinated about like you talked about him getting emotional about Oklahoma City. Just just Google Google Shibanek. Put it on a. You'll tweet out a nice photo of this. Looks like slate covered roofs and just. Uh, just a very picturesque place along the sea in Croatia. So just very different from, from Oklahoma city, uh, very different from Phoenix, very different from Minnesota and Philadelphia and everywhere else. Darius Sharich has played, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just getting lost in Shibanek. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that 100% correctly. I can see that. I'm sure that um, the Oklahoman will fly you out over the summer to Croatia to the deep dive on Dario in his free agency decision. This uh, Sheepneck Croatia is an absolute gem. I got to check it out. It's an absolute gem. Put it on the list. That's right. But that that might be a good road trip, but the Thunder are on their own three-game road trip after tonight when they play the Golden State Warriors. But after that, they have the second night of a back-to-back against the Phoenix Suns and then a little bit of a space. And they play the at the New Orleans Pelicans before another back-to-back at the San Antonio Spurs. You brought this up um, in our, I guess, production talks or something like that, whatever you want to. They're very uh, intense production talks. They are. A lot of arguing. It's like first take. Yeah. They last hours. Hours and hours. Here we are. We we make it work. But um, yeah, this three-game road trip, which has a lot of importance just in terms of where the Thunder want to finish in this play-in slash playoff standings uh, war race. So where do you think they finish over this next three games? Or do you have any predictions on their record, 3-0, 2-1, 1-2, or anything like that? Well, I think this is a three-game road trip where you can, where all the emphasis, I think, at least going into it, is going to be on one game. Circle that Pelicans game, highlight it, um, put an X through the others. Who knows? The NBA is unpredictable, so... Uh, what I'm uh, about to say might, might go in reverse, but I think you can pencil in pencil, not pen, pencil. You can erase it. Um, a loss at Phoenix, second night of a back-to-back. Who knows if Shea's going to play? That's a tough spot, even if he does. I think you can pencil in, again, a pencil, at a win at San Antonio. The Spurs are awful. Um which leaves the Pelicans game. The Pelicans, as we talk at 9.49 a.m. Central Standard Time on Tuesday, March 7th, are a half game ahead of the Thunder in the Western Conference standings. New Orleans is 12th. The Thunder is 13th. That That's a very pivotal game as far as the play-in race goes. So, um, heck, I don't know. I'll... I'll I'm feeling optimistic this morning. I'll say the Thunder goes two and one on this trip and gets that pivotal win um, at the Pelicans. Oh, and three seems out of the question. Three and oh kind of seems super unlikely as well. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, 
I've got my eyes on the big easy, Michael. Good old optimistic Joe. That's what we like to hear. But yeah, I'm with you. I think second night of a back to back, I think it's a loss at Phoenix. Um, You know, they've talked about Shea probably missing some back to backs here and there. So who knows what that, but Phoenix is rolling with Kevin Durant. Now they might have the best one, two punch in the NBA of him and Devin Booker. So I crazier things have happened, but if I had to guess, I would assume the Thunder dropped that game. And then at New Orleans, you mentioned it. That's the most important one. They've sort of been a matchup nightmare for the Thunder this season. The Thunder 0-3 against them already. Uh, The Pelicans just introduced some uh, interesting matchups and challenges for the Thunder with the amount of athleticism and length they have. And they also have one of the more unique defenders in the NBA in Herb Jones, who matches up pretty well with Shea and plays him about as well as anyone. Yes, hashtag not on Herb. I love Herb Jones. Who doesn't love love Herb Jones? Um, yeah, this this has been a, a terrible matchup for the Thunder, and you know, th- things would have to kind of. Well, I mean, it, it's it's so impossible to project the play in right now, but it could be a potential nine versus ten matchup in the play in. Both both of these teams are out of the play in as of now, but. I think the Jazz are almost certainly going to fall out, which would then open up a spot for one of the Lakers, Pelicans, or Thunder. So that's going to be an uh, interesting race to watch. But but yeah, I'm I'm excited about the Pels game. The how, do you Pels. Feel about, how do you feel about the play-in tournament? Because I think it's been interesting, especially this season, about just the amount of teams who are still in the fight, who in most seasons, like... Um, although it is pretty close in the West, but at this point in the season, most years you would kind of know your standing of, yeah, we're a lottery team, but I think the, the play in adds a nice, um, I don't know, factor into where teams, even if you start out slow, have a chance to make the postseason. You remember the, the big talking point at the beginning of the year was that we were going to see unprecedented tanking this year for Victor Wembanyama. I'm still, still waiting on that. It's it's not happened, and I'm not saying it's because of the play-in. Um, I think with like a team like the Thunder, they've just been way better than anyone has expected, and that has like Shea's progression have has sort of naturally taken them out of that. Now, heck, they still could finish fifth or sixth in the reverse standings and get really lucky. Um, but um, like Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, Charlotte, they're in. But other than that, it's it's not like we're, you know, it's not like people were shutting guys down in January. So um, again, though, back back to the plan. I really like it. Um, I like the setup as well, uh, to where the winner of the seven eight game just gets in, and the loser of that game gets the winner of the the nine ten matchup. I think that kind of rewards. It, it's not like all of those teams are are grouped together with like seven playing ten and eight playing nine. Um, I, I like the format of it. Could create some very juicy matchups, like Mavericks Clippers playing. That would be, that would be must watch. Uh, Jazz Jazz Blazers. That would be a yeah. I should probably go to bed instead of watching that. Um, but you could get like Lakers Blazers, which would be very entertaining. So I'm a big fan of the playing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's like changed any teams. Well, I'm going to take that back. I'm 
I'm thinking out loud here, Michael. I was going to say, I don't think it's changed any team's plans as far as like, okay, we have to make a push for the plan or no, we have to try to get into the lottery. The Lakers and Blazers are prime examples. Like they have so much pressure on them right now. Dame having one of the best seasons of his career. It's like people in Portland got to make the play in. They're not talking about Victor Wimbanyama. The Lakers, you know, if LeBron James comes back, can't waste a year of LeBron AD. You got to get out there. You got to get out there, buddy. Um, so they're trying to make the play in. And if we're just under a traditional eight seed structure, the Lakers would still be in it. They're only two games back, but under this play in structure, they're tied right now for ninth. I mean, Utah, Portland, Lakers, Pels are, are all tied right now. So it has it has shifted motivations and, and made it a little more of a chessboard at the back end of the standings. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that it got added. But to circle back to the Pelicans and this three game road trip, I'm on a soft track. No, no, it's okay. No, that was. Uh, I mean, I asked you about it. I think that the play-in's fun. I've we've had some good games like the um, Lakers versus Golden State game a few years ago. That was the LeBron. I think he said he got hit in the eye and then shot, and there were three rims, and he aimed for the one in the middle, which was a ridiculous <laughs> quote. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. And then we had Minnesota. You know, oh, celebrating yes. <laughs> like they won the championship. Pat Pat Beverly on the scores table. I mean, it has been high drama. So yeah, the uh, the uh, the play in overall, that's a win. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say two and one for whatever reason. Even though they're zero and three against the Pelicans, I think they get a win against them. The Pelicans have been really on a downslide. They've been um very very bad post All Star. They're fourteen and twenty two without Zion Williamson this season. And um, they've been on a big time downslide outside of a recent five games kid by the Thunder. They've been awesome in 2023, whereas the Pelicans have been really, really falling down. And then you mentioned the Spurs. They are doing the generational tanking that you were talking about. Uh, yeah. They are four and 25 since January 1st, including a franchise record 16 game losing streak, which they finally broke against the Jazz. Their longest uh, losing streak to Spurs before that was 1989 when they lost 13 games in a row. This has to be a win. There are no pushovers in the NBA, but I'd be extremely surprised if Thunder can't get a win against the Spurs, even if Shea is sit- sitting on the second night of a back-to-back after the Pelicans game. But I'll say 2-1 and one with you. Yeah, the, the Spurs absolutely stink. I, uh, I'm not going to make that game at San Antonio. Second night of a back-to-back in San Antonio, eh. the old company's money can be better spent elsewhere. Is what I'm, uh, what I'm saying. You're using the budget on Bourbon Street, right? You and Barry yeah. <laughs> going out on the town. Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, so I'm headed to to Phoenix tomorrow um, on Wednesday to to make that game. And I'm actually missing uh, both the the Pelicans and, and Spurs games, um, but um. Should make the rest of the trips, I think, down the stretch. I will I will miss New Orleans. It's a great food city. I'm not much for Bourbon Street. I mean, maybe if like you have a group of friends or something, but just like walking alone on Bourbon Street on like a I don't know what day of the week it is, but say I've been there on like a Wednesday night, it's like, uh eh, probably probably shouldn't be doing this. Um yeah, walking San by yourself. Antonio. That I don't. I don't know that that's the way. Maybe at the at the river walk you could do it, or the river walk. Very pleasant place. I do love the river walk. Um, 
I like San Antonio overall, although it's one of my least favorite places to to visit on the NBA schedule because they built the arena like 15 minutes away from downtown off by itself in what I would say is the middle of nowhere. It's probably a thriving suburb that I don't really know about. I think it's technically San Antonio, but I'm uh, I'm rambling here, but that's because I like to stay at a hotel downtown. I like to walk to the game and I like to walk back to the back from the game. If you're covering a game in Oklahoma City, you can do that. Hotels galore um, around Paycom Center. But um, you can't walk to the old AT&T Center in San Antonio. And uh, yeah, I, I don't like that. So I won't go. Last question on that. Uh, what's your favorite thing to eat in New Orleans? You said it's a great food city. I, I'm i a big fan of the Cajun cuisine. Creole cuisine. I think both of them. I don't really know what the difference is. Um, but there's a place called the Gumbo Shop that I've frequented. And I have indeed eaten gumbo there. I'm a big fan of uh, crawfish etouffee, chicken etouffee, red beans and rice, jambalaya. Give it all to me. I I, I love the Cajun cuisine. Didn't expect that, but uh, happy to hear it, <laughs> Joe. We've got all, all sorts of surprises for you, Michael. Definitely. Not a big music guy, but a big Cajun food guy. <laughs> big Cajun guy. But anyways, that's that's going to be it for us today. Joe, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? I know we have a fun game tonight against the Golden State Warriors coming up. Yeah, I should have a story either coming out later today or Wednesday. Um, it was Thunder Legacy Weekend. A bunch of old players in the house. Not really old, but old by Thunder franchise standards. So uh talked to Nick Collison, Kyle Weaver, Malik Rose, and DJ White about being on the very first Thunder team in 2008-2009 and um, hearing some old memories about that team. So should be should be a fun read. That's definitely something to look forward to. I can't wait to read that. But like I mentioned, thanks, Joe, for coming on. Make some time. Thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. We'll be back on Friday. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, uh, rate us five stars on wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, anything like that. Follow us on social media at ThunderBudPod on Twitter for more updates about this podcast, releasing more things like that. And we will be back on Friday.